Good morning. Morning also to those of you who may be watching online this morning. Beginning a new series, title of your uh, bulletin says Miracles. We're going to be talking about the miracles of Jesus in particular over the next nine weeks. You know, whether you are here to consider the claims of the Christian faith, maybe that's probably true of some people on every given service, or you're here as a Christian um, trying to practice the um, truths of the Christian faith, you cannot do that um, honestly or um, with integrity anyway without coming to terms with the reality of miracles, okay, that take place in the Bible, okay? That's what we're going to talk about over these weeks. Now, there's a lot of definitions, you know, we could probably spend time, you know, we all maybe even have our own definitions of a miracle, you know, my, uh, you know, son gets up before 10 on a Saturday or something, whatever, you know, but, (laughs) but, um, but when we talk about miracles, there are a lot of definitions. So I want to I just read one that's pretty basic, but it'll be helpful. And I'm taking the time to read it from this book because it's a reference for you. If, you. if you're interested in this larger subject, there's many things to read. I've read some, but this is a book by Eric Metaxas, about five years old, titled Miracles. I uh, would encourage you, great, um, thoughtful writer who could help you and take this a little bit deeper, but he says this in the opening of his book, chapter two, what is a miracle? Dictionary definition, quote, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs, kind of what we think. He says, more colorfully, C.S. Lewis once explained that a miracle, and Lewis, by the way, has a book also titled Miracles, if you want to read that, Uh, something that is unique that breaks a pattern so expected and established, we hardly consider the possibility that it could be broken, okay? If, quote, for a thousand of years, a woman can become pregnant only by sexual intercourse with a man, then if she were to become pregnant without a man, it would be a miracle, okay? So that's the example that Lewis gives, and it's a good one because... You know, the Bible itself is full of miracles, and there are two that are so incredibly central. Without it, there would be no Christian faith. One of them is the virgin birth itself, right? I mean, that's a pretty bold uh, miracle, a bold claim that someone, I don't think there's ever been another claim or someone that claimed that they uh, were or someone was born, you know, uh, from a virgin, you know, that's, I, think, I think Jesus holds the, the only person that has made that claim or it's been made about him. And the second one, of course, is the resurrection itself, right? I mean, it's the heart of the gospel. We talk as Christian, you know, pastors, as Christians about the importance of the cross. And Jesus died for my sin. My sin was paid for on the cross. It was a proxy judgment. He died for me and for you. It's huge. It's at the heart of Christian faith. But let me tell you something. Without the resurrection of Jesus, it has no value. (laughs) I can't take advantage of the cross Unless Jesus rose from the dead in a manner speaker, conquered the ultimate enemy, which was death itself, and then he was freed to come to you and say, I have the power, I have earned the right to offer you the forgiveness of sin because I have overcome death. Okay, so these are pretty big miracles. Now, 
But I bring that up to say this. Before you decide, Christian or non-Christian, to check out of this message or this series because you're skeptical of miracles, right? Let me say something. Miracles, the kind we just described, you know, the uh, supernatural uh, uh, breaking of, of supernatural laws like a virgin birth, like a resurrection from the dead, like walking on water, like healing somebody. These kinds of miracles, you know, to, to not believe in them is not a, a, a modern phenomenon. Sometimes we would think, well, you know, people just believe that now. We, we've just become sophisticated, you know, in the latter part of the 20th century or the early part of the 21st century, and nobody believes in miracles anymore. So as a thoughtful, sophisticated person, I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian, but I don't believe in miracles because we've, our knowledge has outgrown miracles, right? But I would say before you decide that's your position, that that is not a modern phenomenon to be skeptical of miracles. People have been skeptical of miracles uh, for a very, very long time, you know, not just in the 21st and 20th century. For example, I read this somewhere recently, but in the next year, 2020, we will be celebrating as a country the 200th anniversary of a very famous book that's never gone out of print, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, written by Thomas Jefferson, the third president, otherwise known as the Jefferson Bible. Now, some of you may have come across it in your studies. What is the Jefferson Bible, right? Never been out of print in 200 years. Thomas Jefferson, near the end of his life, very smart man, out of sort of a, a product of the Enlightenment, he decided he loved the ethics and the moral teaching of the New Testament, but he was not so hot on the miracles. He felt a sophisticated mind, right, of the 18th century wouldn't believe in things like miracles. So he sat down, some of you know this, with an exacto knife and a copy of the New Testament, and he cut out Right? The parts of the Bible, or the, excuse me, the miracles in the Gospels, many things that were supernatural, including the resurrection, and then he repasted, you know, kind of found a way to, you know, stop here and start here, and he put together a book, right? Edited version, in a manner of speaking, of the New Testament called The Life and Moral of Jesus. So that was 200 years ago. But you don't have to go back 200 years, you can go all the way back 2,000 years to Jesus himself standing on the mountain, giving the great, great commission, very famous passage of scripture, which we'll look at in our study of Matthew going forward in the year. And Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he's standing there on the mountain with his disciples, and he says, listen, you know, I've risen, I'm right here, right? See the handprint, the nail prints in my hands and in my feet, the scar in my side. I am the living, breathing, right in front of you reality, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it says, Matthew 28, 17, many of them, there's only 12 of them, worshiped, but some of them doubted, right? Even the 12 apostles who are looking at something I've never seen and you've never seen, the actual risen Jesus Christ, they doubted. So to be skeptical is not a modern sophistication, it's been around forever and a day, including the very beginning. And to, to believe in the miracles is always has been an act of faith. But let me say this by way of introduction. The miracles of Jesus, which is what we're looking at in this brief series. Like, for instance, the virgin birth is not a miracle of Jesus, a miracle that happened to Jesus, okay? But the miracles of Jesus 
They were not for miracles' sake, okay? Jesus did not perform the miracles to impress you or to impress me or to impress the people that lived in his day. They pointed to something beyond themselves, okay? And in this opening introduction to this series, we're just going to look at one miracle, but I hope by way, in a manner of speaking, it helps set the framework for all of our, the miracles that we'll look at, nine of them in the course of nine weeks. You have a copy of the Bible, Matthew chapter 8, just four short verses in a message titled, A Willing Lord. First miracle in this two chapters, Matthew 8 and 9, where the miracles of Jesus are sort of concentrated in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and kneeled before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay? Let me say this. The word miracles in Greek, okay, it's not in this passage, the word miracles in Greek actually means sign, okay? That's what the word means. The miracles are a sign pointing not to themselves, but something beyond themselves. Three things in this brief introduction, but this, this is an introduction for the whole series. The first one is the miracles tell us who God is, okay? The miracles tell us something about who God is. Is okay. I want you to look a quick verse of scripture for sake of time. Why is that, Rob? Matthew 11, just a couple verses later, a couple chapters later, Jesus is saying something to his to 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 about himself relative to the miracles. When John, who was in prison, this is John the Baptist, who was in some ways the, the forerunner of Jesus, and he was telling people about Jesus coming. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples, not Jesus' disciples, but John's disciples, to Jesus to say, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? Good question. You and I don't sort of live in a world like this, but for, for, for 1,500 years or more, the entire Jewish community, which was scattered around the known world, the Roman Empire at the time, all over the place, they were the dominant monotheistic religion, Right? There's a lot of religions that have come to life in the last 2,000 years, but 2,000 years ago, there weren't that many. It was paganism and Judaism for the most part. And there was this expectation that had been growing for years. And whether you were a Jewish person or even a non-Jewish person, like the wise men. Remember the wise men at Jesus' birth? They were Jewish people, but they were very interested in the coming Messiah. So whether you were Jewish or non-Jewish, you were waiting for the expectation of the Messiah. And, and it was a big deal. It was the central hope of the Jewish faith. So Jesus is starting to get some buzz in the, in the newspaper and on the street. Maybe this guy is the Messiah. Maybe after all these years and all these generations, there was some sense that maybe he's the one. So John the Baptist, who's kind of a, you know, a prophet of the Old Testament era, he's in jail. It's a different story. You know, some of you know that story. He's in jail. He's put in prison for his faith and his, and his convictions. But he says to his disciples, hey, you know, there's no internet in the, in the first century. He said, listen, go find Jesus. 
He's somewhere in the Galilee region. Find him and ask him, right? This is how you did it in the old days. Ask him, is he the one to come? Now, interesting, Jesus doesn't say yes or no, but he says, does he, he says this is what he says. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. What is that? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. So one thing is telling us, listen, if you want to know the answer to that question, go tell them about the physical miracles that, I've, that you've seen and that you've heard. The first thing that would tell someone who's a thoughtful Jew who knew their Old Testament or their Bible is they'd go back to many places. Isaiah 35 is the first one I think of. that says the Messiah will come and he'll open the ears of the deaf. He'll open the eyes of the blind. He will um, heal and he will bring about um, 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 health where there is sickness, okay? So one, it's sort of connecting a dot and identifying, but I would say to you, it's more than that. The miracles tell us something about who God is. Notice the type of miracles mentioned in that passage of Matthew 11 that we just read. Every single one of them, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, they're all about alleviating human suffering, right? They're telling you something about who God is and what God cares about. And here's my point. If you know the arc of the whole biblical narrative, which some of us do and some of us don't, but this is, what, this, is, this is the Bible in a nutshell. It's saying, listen, that Jesus came to announce a kingdom. Thy kingdom come, right? The, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came to announce a kingdom. And that kingdom is not necessarily about a piece of geography. It's about what life is like and what life should be like on the geo scale, on the geopolitical scale, on the, on the grand scale, and on the human heart scale when it's lived under God's authority. Okay, That's what the kingdom of God is. But he says, listen, I'm going to announce that, but it's not all going to happen overnight. The kingdom of God doesn't happen all overnight. But while Jesus is here, right, he says, I want to give you snapshots and trailers and a window into what the kingdom of God is, what's coming. And what's coming is the deaf will hear, the blind will see, there will be no more poor people, there will be no more genocide, there will be no more ruining of the environment, and on and on and on. I want to give you a window of that, but here's what it's also telling you. When Jesus decides to heal the deaf and the blind and the leper. It's telling you that the things that hurt your heart and the things that make you mad about the broken world that we live in, about the brokenness in your own life, they hurt God's heart and made him mad first. Okay? That's what it's saying. Remember the story of Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead? His, Lazarus was a personal as far as the New Testament goes, he was probably the closest personal friend. You know, they say, who's your best friend? Probably the closest personal friend that Jesus had was a family of three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus died, and Jesus was called to his grave because they knew him, and they were, Jesus was a miracle worker and their friend. And it said, when Jesus went there, it says, you know these words, Jesus wept. Now, why would the Bible bother telling us that Jesus wept? except to say to you and to me 
Although I could say, well, why don't you just make all the world right in the snap of a finger? That's a separate sermon. But it says this, that what hurts your heart about the broken world, what makes you mad about why things are not working and things are broken and they don't all add up and life is full of suffering, it made God mad first. And the miracles show us something of God's heart. And what this leper is telling us, right, there's a reason that the first miracle is a leper. And Jesus always is picking the unlikely characters to be the models of faith. It's like when he picks the, the, the Samaritan woman and she becomes a model of faith and you think, Jesus, geez, do you have to pick a prostitute and a woman who's not even Jewish? And he's like, yes, I do. Because I want to make a point. And now he's picking the leper. And, the le- and what you and I can learn from this leper, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a year of sermons. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. He's saying this. Do you think this about God? He's not even a Jewish guy. He's not even allowed to go to the temple because he's a leper. But he has greater faith than the disciples. He said, listen, master, I got a problem. And my problem is huge. I'm a leper. I can't go to church. I can't go to the public market. No one wants to marry me. I can't get a job. I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm on the bottom of the rung. But this is what I believe. I believe, that's a paraphrase of the words we just read, that, it, that you have the power to heal me. Right? No doubt. And he says, the only thing I don't know is, is it your will that I be healed? Because see, I, I, I'm in the same dilemma for various things in my own life, like some of you are. And I say, God, I don't understand. This seems like a good thing. And, and, and in the, if you don't give me this thing I need or this relationship I need or this money I need or this job I need, I can begin to think that you don't love me. But I have to remember that God holds all the cards. He knows my life better than mine. And I have to believe fundamentally that he loves me. That's what the miracles tell me, Right? Because they're showing his compassion. They're showing his care. Even for things like, you know, physical ailments. If God cares for the physical ailments, how much more does he care for the heart? But this guy says, listen, I believe you can do it. I'm convinced you can heal my marriage. I'm convinced you could heal my, my um, cancer. I'm convinced that you could get me a job, whatever it is, heal my relationship troubles. I'm convinced you can do it, but I don't know if it's your will. And he says, but if you're willing, okay, if you're willing, I'm going to trust you, then you can make me clean, okay? Do you have that kind of faith? Do I have that kind of faith? The miracles of Jesus tell us something about who God is. Secondly, the miracles show us where God is taking the world and where God is taking you and me if you're a follower of Jesus, okay? As I said, you could say to yourself, well, if God has all this power, then why doesn't he just solve all the problems right now? Why don't you make all disease go away, all political problems go away, all environmental problems go away, fix it all now, right? That seems like a logical thing to do, but here's the problem with that strategy. And that's why the Jewish people, this is another sermon too, but why did they reject him? Because that's what they were looking for. They wanted political salvation. They wanted to pay, they wanted the tax burdens off their back. They wanted to be restored to their, um, you know, their former glory politically and socially and economically, right? But Jesus says this, right? He knows something about human nature. 
He says, if I don't fix your heart problem first, right, Rob? If I don't fix your heart problem first, I can give you a new house. I can restore your family. I can give you a better paying job. I can give you a a, a perfect health diagnosis. I can give you all those things that are at the top of your list, and you might be right back at the bottom in a very short period of time because it's out of the heart, Jesus says, that comes you know, adultery and greed and envy and on and on and on, right? So the kingdom of God needs to begin in the heart. He's showing us where he's, all nine of the miracles, we're just looking at one this morning briefly by his way of introduction, they all point in the same direction. A world with no more disease, a world with no more corruption, a world with no more violence, a world with no more death. Tim Keller Reason for God said these words. Gives you a great uh, way to summarize the miracles of Jesus and what they mean. We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we are all wanting, or that we all want, is coming, okay? It's coming, but it begins with the heart. And you might say the greatest miracle is the forgiveness of sins because without it, nothing else will stay for very long. Watch where it's all headed, though. Quick, two verses quickly, and I won't say much about them. Where is this headed? In what way are the miracles of Jesus a sign of where he wants the world to go? Revelation 21 and 22. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It hasn't passed away yet. It has in a manner of speaking in my heart because I'm a Christian. If you're a Christian, in a manner of speaking, I've I've transferred from, let's say, death unto life, right? Spiritually speaking. But the order of things in the world that we live in, there are still things in this world that frustrate me. There's still things in this world that hurt me. There are still things in the world that make me mad. But the miracles of Jesus tell us this. It hurt him first. It made him mad before it made you mad. And every time he said, uh, you know, uh, be cleansed and be healed and be free, and he's, what he was doing, he's saying, this is where it's all going, right? This is where it's all going. The world, the miracles reveal where God is taking the world. And in the person of Jesus Christ, that's what the leper learned, right? That was 2,000 years ago. But the leper learned that in the person of Jesus Christ, the promises of the kingdom that are behind the miracles, they can be a reality in your life today, right? We sat here the last two Sundays, if you were here, and looked at a video of a woman 
who, as far as I know, she's not, her life is not problem-free, right? She's, she, she doesn't have the perfect job and the perfect house and the perfect family and, you know, the perfect health. She doesn't have all those things as far as I know, but she's experienced something much greater. She's experienced the foretaste of the kingdom of God in the forgiveness of sin, in the reconciliation with God, and an understanding that what has begun in her is going to continue. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it already is in heaven. And it begins in the human heart. The miracles tell us something about who God is, right? Not just that he has power, but what his heart, what, man, what, what animates his heart. He hates the suffering in your life. He hates the suffering in my life. He hates the brokenness in the world. And he's doing something about it, and he ultimately will bring everything. As, as J.R. Tolkien said, everything that is said will become untrue. And it's on its way already in your life and in mine if you're a follower of Jesus. Last thing these things do by way of introduction is the miracles reveal God's love. Okay, the miracles reveal God's love, even more than his power. I wish I had time to illustrate this, although we will in these weeks. But the first three people who are, you know, the Bible's written with a lot of intention. Sometimes we don't get that. We just kind of read it like it was thrown together and try to cherry pick some nice ideas out of it. But the, the Bible was written with tremendous carefulness and, and attention. There are nine miracles in Matthew 8 and 9 where we'll be over the summer. The first three recipients of the miracles of Jesus are three people who were the most unlikely to have access to God. They were, uh, they, they were the people on the outside looking in and they were most removed from the, uh, the, the daily life of the Jewish people, right? The first one's a leper. The second one's a Gentile, next Sunday sermon. And the third one is a woman. And those three classes of people were people on the outside. Even if you were, if you were a woman, Jewish woman, Good, thoughtful Jewish woman. You could come to the temple and come to church on Saturday, right? But you could only go so far. It's called the court of women. Then you got to a certain point, no further. If you were a Gentile, non-Jewish person, right? There was called the court of the Gentiles. You could come if you're a thoughtful person. You, 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 you're not Jewish, but you believe in the God of the Bible, the Old Testament. You could come only so far and no further. If you were a leper, even if you were Jewish, uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 and many other places in the Old Testament, let me tell you something, you couldn't come at all. No access, verboten, can't come. You not only couldn't come to church, you couldn't come to town, you couldn't get very close, you couldn't go to the public market. In, in Luke 17, there's a famous example when Jesus heals these 10 lepers gives you an example of, of the Old Testament proscription being lived out in a narrative in Luke 17. And these people hear about Jesus. He's got a lot of buzz in town. People know he's healing people. So these guys come out of their, you know, um, the, in their hiding because it says in Leviticus 13 that if you're a leper, you have to live outside of the camp, outside of the city, and you have to live alone. That's almost a verbatim quote of Leviticus 13. You're ostracized. You're, you know, it's an internment camp for the sick. You cannot be in town. You certainly can't be in church. So they find Jesus and it says, at a distance, 
Luke 17. They cried out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, why does the writer say that? Making a point. Because these Jews, leprous Jews, they were trying to do what the Bible said. And they said, you can, you can get someone's attention, but you got to do it at a distance because you can't be within X feet. Can you imagine the humiliation? Right? I mean, maybe AIDS in the 80s. I don't know. I don't know if those of us whose memories go back that far. The kind of humiliation. I don't know that we have that today. So somebody could have some kind of condition. There's been a lot of advancements in our modern, in modern days about people with various disabilities that used to be you know, shunned and, and it's gotten better. It's not perfect. Racism. It's gotten better. It's not perfect. But in that day, let me tell you something. You were the worst of the worst. If, and, and, so, and why is the leper become... The most, the first um, example that Jesus uses, and why is it, why were they the most ostracized in Israel, right? More than Gentiles, more than women, and there's so much second class citizens. Why were the lepers the worst? There are whole chapters in the Old Testament. This is one of those things you think, why? There are whole chapters in the Old Testament that simply talk about skin disease or leprosy, and you think of all the things you could talk about. Why? Let me tell you why. This is the wisdom of scholars for 2,000 years. The reason leprosy had such a, was such a big deal in the Old Testament was because, in a manner of speaking, it is a perhaps one of the best pictures and illustrations of the nature of sin. And the whole message of the Bible is dealing with human sin. And see, what leprosy does is this. If you're in a wheelchair, that's, that's, that's a challenge. But you can still go to church, okay? If you happen to be, you know, of a different cultural background, you can still go to church. I'm talking about the first century. But if you're a leper, let me tell you what your life is like. It's characterized by shame and humiliation, Right? No one's inviting me to their Christmas party. No one's inviting me. I'm not, I'm not going on any dates. No one's going to marry me. I don't have any means of income, and I have a contagious disease. And you already know about me that I can't go to the public market. I'm never going to church, which was the most important thing in the first century if you're Jewish. I have absolutely no access. All of my opportunities are gone, number one. I'm isolated. Not only do I have no hope for a job and no hope for a family, no, I'm not going to have any friends unless they're other lepers. No one's going to want to be around me. And, drum roll, please, and this sounds crazy, but this is the way the Bible speaks, I can't go to church either, right? I can't go to church at all. In a manner of speaking, I have no access to God. So leprosy, I think Jesus chooses the first person to be healed, to be a leper, to make a point, to reveal his love, right? He's saying, listen, this is who I am. And the leper is the only person. When everyone else gets the miracle, it says, and he was healed, and she was healed. In this one, it says, he was cleansed. Now, what, did he take a bath? I mean, why does it use the word cleansed? Because the leper's biggest problem wasn't even his skin disease, although that was a problem and it was wonderful to be healed of his, but it was the, it was the social ostracization. It was the, you know, I, it was the, it was the spiritual um, problems that came alongside of his or her disease. And what this leper most wanted 
and really shows us what we most need, even more than money and a, broken, and a fixed relationship and better health. And, and what we most need is the cleansing of our sin, right? That's the greatest of all miracles. And I think Jesus puts it first to say, listen, all of the rest of them point to this. Because you know what happened when, when Jesus, this is, this is another interesting thing about the, this first miracle. Jesus doesn't have to touch anybody to be healed, okay? He doesn't have to touch anybody. A lot of times Jesus says, and he spoke the word and they were healed. But Jesus touches this leper to make a point. It's the gospel in miniature. It's saying, listen, in that touch, you see the identifying love of God. He said, I'm not only going to heal you, I'm going to love you. I'm going to do what no one else has done your whole life. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to identify with you. And see, that's what the gospel is, right? We just talked about it a few minutes ago on the cross. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin, that is to be judged for sin, um, so that you and I might have the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ got up and hung on a cross, which was a humiliating, you think leprosy is humiliating, to stand publicly and be on a cross in the first century, you were screaming, I'm a, think of the worst sin you can think of, right? I'm a child molester. I'm a murderer. I am the worst of the worst. That's what you're screaming when you're on a public cross on a public highway in the first century. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that you and I might be cleansed and know the righteousness of God in him. That's what the Bible is saying. Amen? Amen. So this is what I want to do. We're going to close. Marvin's going to come out and sing another song about God's love. But I want to apply this message very quickly, okay, before you walk out this door for Christians and non-Christians. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Just be with me in a moment of prayer. Let me ask you this first, Christians. You might have come in this room and said, you know, Rob, I'm saved, which is good. You might be saved, but my question isn't, do you need to be saved, but do you need to be healed, right? Is there an area in your life, Christian, you're saved, you're, you're forgiven, you've already experienced the grace of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. You'd say, I'm saved, but I need to be healed, Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's a, 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 um, a physical problem. Maybe it's a cancer. I mean, who knows? It's, it, maybe it's a, a sin that's been hanging on your life and weighing you down and keeping you down and making you think that the world is, is, is a closed system, that there isn't any openness, there isn't any hope. God isn't really taking your life anywhere, okay? So this is what I want you to say to you. If you'd say, Rob, I'm a Christian, but I do need something healed in my life. And I want to say this morning in a manner of speaking, Lord, if you're willing, if you're willing, would you heal me? I want you just to raise your hand where you are. No one's looking but me, okay? Up and down, very quick, up and down, okay? Thank you. God hears your prayers. Second, if you're not a Christian, you'd say, listen, Rob, I, I've been to church before, but I have... Um, never truly experienced the full forgiveness of Jesus. I've never even understood that the gospel is not, you know, God helps those who help themselves, or the gospel is earn favor with God through trying to be a good person. That's what I thought it was. But that it's Jesus Christ, in a manner of speaking, became a leper for me. Jesus Christ took my place 
and was judged for my sin. He identified with me. He touched me and healed me. I've never experienced the forgiveness of sin or the full freedom of the gospel. I would like to do that this morning. If God's opening your heart, listen, there's only one way to become a Christian, and that is by faith, belief in the finished work of Jesus. To as many as received him, John 1, 14, it's a gift. To as many as received him, he gave them the power to become the sons and daughters of God. That's the only one way anyone who's a Christian's ever become a Christian. If you'd say, that's me, I want you to pray this prayer quietly. Okay, it's between you and God. Say, listen, God, I want to receive you. I, I'm opening my life. If you're willing, would you forgive me of all my sin? Pray this prayer in your own words or, or, or along with mine. God, thank you for sending Jesus into this world to die and rise and to touch my life and to give me the forgiveness of sin. I acknowledge this gift. I open my life to this gift. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Come into my life, be my Savior, and be my Lord. If you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand wherever you are. I just want to acknowledge it. Yes, thank you. Across the room, thank you. Father, I thank you for your amazing love. Be with us here now as we sing. Fill our hearts, we pray, in you, with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.